0: welcome, welcome everyone to Wellbeing Wednesdays. I'm your host, Courtney Weaver. I'm the director over at WellWVU here at West Virginia University. And joining me today is Dr. Narayan Gold. He is a staff psychologist at the Crew Center and he's also their assessment coordinator. So we want to say welcome to Narayan. And how about you give us a little bit
1: of an introduction of yourself and then what your role is here at the university? Sure. Thanks so much, Courtney. So my role as assessment coordinator through the center is to sort of again, coordinate, but to sort of cohesively create an intervention or a planning for intervention for folks that have attentional concerns or learning disabilities on campus. Um, It's a a big component of our training program. Uh, A lot of our interns or all of our interns are involved in that and we have several doctoral students often every year who do some form of assessment or testing of of our student population. Attentional concerns and uh, learning disabilities is a very significant barrier to academic success. So, We see a lot of those students during the year um, as many as we can certainly Uh, things are a little bit different now but overall um sort of that is a lot of what my role is i'm also a therapist at the center and and work with clients do supervision do all those things in addition to to that work as well and um, i work very closely with dr dan long over at the office of accessibility services we work with athletics Um, so there's a lot of sort of different touch points in terms of student services there Um, And it's just an area that i'm interested in and want to help students with because so many of our students struggle with it um, or, or some type of difficulty related to learning or attention. That's something we'll probably talk about a little bit more later is signs and symptoms and uh, some misconceptions about ADHD.
0: Yeah. So
1: that was a really
0: good segue. Uh, so we are actually going to be talking about ADHD today. So, um, Norian, what is ADHD? What does it stand for?
1: So ADHD and... and uh, the sort of the the cluster of diagnoses around ADHD have evolved over time. Um, Previously, so let's say, you know, 15, 16, maybe 20 years ago, a lot of people would talk about ADD or attention deficit disorder, um, which has evolved into ADHD or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. There's actually two different types of ADHD. Um, There's um, the hyperactive type and the inattentive type. There's also a combined type of ADHD. And we try and sort of drill down on what those sort of three different types of ADHD look like. Um, the sort of the, as the names imply, inattentive ADHD is often folks who are easily distracted or have trouble sort of focusing or honing in. The hyperactive type of ADHD is folks that are very difficult, they have difficulty sort of sitting still. Um, uh, some of the behavioral signs and symptoms, bouncing your leg, tapping your finger, um, sort of a lot of energy in the body. Um, and that's not abnormal. You know, just because a, a person is bouncing their leg when they're sitting still does not mean that they have attention deficit hyperactivity disorder but it just may mean they have extra energy that day or they had too many cups of coffee. Like, there's a lot of different explanations and reasons why that might be the case. Um, and, and again, a lot of students will come in, I have ADE. So, so that, that sort of previous historical diagnosis really carries along with it. Um, ADHD is actually a diagnosis of exclusion. A lot of people sort of go to that as the first diagnosis that this is what I have, but we have to rule out so many other different concerns first. And there's a lot of factors that contribute to ADHD, sleep, appetite, diet, um, overall holistic well-being. Um, and that's one of the things that I think our center actually really excels at and the MindFit program excels at. We'll talk a little bit more about that as well as thinking about the big picture and what factors, what lifestyle factors could be contributing to difficulties academically, to problems with attention um, concerns as well. So uh, I think that's a pretty cohesive definition. But again, we have to rule out a lot of different things. Traumatic brain injuries, is the person sleep deprived? Are they... Um, do they just simply not have the basic study skills that um, should have probably been instructed to them in, in their schooling? Um, and schooling really varies, uh, you know, depending on the person where they grew up and, and what was emphasized.
0: Okay. That is really expensive. So um, what does ADHD look like in the college population? Like how many students would you say it affects?
1: So I, so I was looking at the prevalence rates before this meeting and in the, in the United States population, it's somewhere between 5 and 6% is what they say. Um, I'm sure that my numbers are probably skewed because I, we get a lot of phone calls, a lot of concerns about students who have ADHD. Um, but, but truthfully, we render that diagnosis maybe a handful of times every semester, um, and we we test 150 to 200 students depending um, every year. So, it's the prevalence rate is is probably a little bit higher in our population because everyone who's coming to us have, has those concerns. Um, and in terms of you know the combined type or the two different types, inattentive versus hyperactive it's it's somewhat fairly even but a a telltale sign and symptom and i think that there a lot of folks assume like oh i got to college and all of a sudden i can't pay attention they're they're they're, in order to meet criteria for the diagnosis you have to have had problems when you were a child um, prior to age 13. so that's one of the real um sort of like critical points and, and we'll ask about that when students come in in terms of what it looks like in the college student population um somewhat distinct from kids so like little kids will get out of their their class like speak out in class they'll get out of their chair they have trouble sitting still again all that stuff is prior to covid and um, whatever restrictions they're going to have in terms of movement at this point but that's really what it looks like in kids in in college age population some of those concerns as well trouble sitting still trouble paying attention in class um and the average human attention span is only 15 minutes so people you know it's going to have to be much shorter than that people make this you know construction or that this belief that if I can't sit still and study for four hours, I have ADHD. It's really just not realistic. Our minds tend to get distracted every 15 minutes. So, you know, trouble with that misplacing of items. So like losing their keys, losing their wallet, losing their ID card, things like that is very common. Trouble with just general organization, missing class, um, missing work, being linked to work, being linked to class. Those are some of the signs and symptoms in, in that population. Trouble sitting still and reading a paragraph, that can be a sign. Um, It's really hard to tell. And, again, if if students are really concerned or uncertain, coming in and getting tested is one of the definitive ways. It's not the only way. Um, But in order to sort of open up some treatment options, that's really the best way to go about it, provided it's feasible, you know, and and all of those things. But, um, you know, a lot of students will just sort of Google symptoms, signs, and symptoms. Um, Those are some of the more common ones that you see among the student population.
0: Okay. And so you've talked a few times about testing. So what does testing look like for a student if they came in to see you or one of your other professionals?
1: So uh, ADHD testing varies widely depending on whether someone's going to go to the community or whether they're, they're going to go through our center. Um, comprehensive ADHD testing assesses for so what a person's measured potential is based on their sort of intelligence. I mean, we don't really place – we place some emphasis on IQ score, but we sort of want to see what your potential is through those uh, tasks and activities. Then we do some time tasks, like how how long are they able to focus and pay attention? Um, what's their executive functioning like? So there's a lot of different d- dimensions that we look at in terms of testing. And it's a, it's a long day. You know, previous battery was about seven hours. Now it's about four hours. So we've cut down on that a little bit. That's including like uh, interview and things like that. Yeah. So, you know, just seeing if they can, like how they pay attention, behavioral observations, and what the executive functioning is. What the executive functioning is is the, the front part of your brain, people that have really bad attentional concerns have trouble with that, trouble regulating that. Now it's, it's hard to, to determine that a little bit in the uh, college age population because your frontal lobe doesn't fully form until you're about 25. That's why they talk about, you, you know, you're not fully developed until you're 25 years old. Um, so we test for some of those executive functions. It's, it's essentially your ability to like put on the brakes, to slow down your process, to not jump in. That, that's another sign and symptom is like blurting out answers, interrupting people in conversations. Um, and we'll assess for some of those things as well. It's a, it's a significant time commitment. So, but you know, at the very least, and there's no guarantee of a diagnosis, but at the very least, at the end of it, students will ideally have a, a picture and, and an understanding of what their strengths and weaknesses are academically and just in terms of how their, their mind functions.
0: Yeah. Well, I think it's great that that service is offered on campus, because at my previous institution, uh, our counseling center wasn't able to provide that for students, and they always have to go off campus, and it can also be extremely expensive if you yeah. go. It's, it's, it
1: is, and it's, it's like close to what a copay is on campus. The, the fee is, is $500, which is, is a lot for some students, but I've heard, you know, $2,500 for a battery yeah. in the community, so yeah so it's a it's a, it's a great service
0: um, so we've talked about some of the signs and symptoms are there any additional signs and symptoms of
1: ADHD that students should look out for it's It's mostly those you know again onset prior to age thirteen uh, interrupting other people you know breaking you know conversational stride having trouble sort of maintaining a conversation with someone that you know they they keep jumping to, from subject to subject to subject um, not being able to sit still for more than fifteen minutes so you know again Holding an attention span for about 15 minutes is pretty typical. It really depends on the person, the setting, you know, the context. Um, something that's often, I think, misassociated with ADHD is like, I have low motivation. I just don't want to you know, do well or I can't do well in school or I don't feel like doing this. That's really not a sign or a symptom of ADHD. Um, looking at that executive function is really, really important because I think that's really what sets ADHD apart from Maybe they've had several concussions and they have post-concussive syndrome or a traumatic brain injury or things along those lines. Um, maybe they are not getting enough sleep. Uh, it's lack of sleep, there's a lot of studies that have been done with lack of sleep and, and attentional problems. And people that have a lack of sleep often will uh, show signs and symptoms of poor attention, lack of focus and concentration, uh, poor cognitive performance overall.
0: Yeah. I, a previous supervisor of mine went to a conference and she went to a session about sleep and the presenter posited that if every person had, you know, at least eight hours of sleep every night, like all the world's problems might disappear. (laughs) It would would be so much better.
1: And it's really hard in our culture, especially, you know, again, in American culture, work, 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 work. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're driven and we're sort of shamed for, for taking a break. But if you really want to do well, you know, restoring your, your, your sleep and making sleep a priority and not eroding your sleep architecture is so important. We talk about that a lot with the students that come in for, for attentional concerns. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. So, you know, some of the treatment options can make sleep worse. So, you know, you have to sort of lay out those options as well.
0: Okay. And so speaking of like, what is a treatment
1: plan for someone with ADHD? So most students that come in um, and, and this is just, again, I think American culture in general is, is talking about medication. So stimulant medication is a treatment option. Absolutely. Um, there's risks and side effects though, associated with it. So there's cardiac risks, there's trouble and difficulty sleeping often because a stimulant will keep you up at night, uh, appetite suppression. Um, so, so those are some of the side effects, but a lot of people do benefit from it. True classic ADHD um, in terms of the diagnosis, people that have that when they take stimulant medication, it really is night and day. It does make a big difference. Um, the challenge though is if a student was diagnosed at like 10, and they, they were put on stimulant medication at that age, and at this point, their brains have sort of adapted and adjusted to that. So taking it away can be can make it very difficult, even though they may not meet criteria for it as well anymore. Um, ADHD people can grow out of ADHD, and 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 you know the brain can learn to accommodate and can learn to sort of adapt. But when it's doing that with stimulant medication, you know taking that away can make things very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, again, that's only one of the treatment options, though. So there's study skills classes, there's learning skills consultations through the Office of Accessibility Services, there's the MindFit program and cognitive training and cognitive enhancement. Now, we're having to put a pause on that right now because it's an in-person service. Um, you're, you know, you're putting a, a cap on an, on an individual and you're right there, but it's, you know, again, as we sort of phase back into in-person activities, again, well, therapy and cognitive training, it's just, it's one of the best treatment options. So a cognitive training is, it's the mental gym. It's cognitive training and neurofeedback. It's, it's training your brain to think better to focus better and to, to pay attention and and you build that strength up it's not like we're asking you to do these hard cognitive tasks for 20 thirty minutes right out of the gate we want you to do that gradually over time and we build it um, through through their games essentially games are like memorization activities mental manipulation and math and things like that
0: mm-hmm.
1: and we do that all while watching your brain's performance it's not electrical stimulation it's um, we do brain mapping through neurofeedback and neurofeedback is just that it's giving your brain information about its own performance. So let's say you start to get distracted and you're doing one of these tasks where you're like flying a ship through through space or, you know, solving mental math problems, the screen will like darken and, and make it hard for you to see what you're doing. And that's a sign and signaling like, up. Oh, you're losing your concentration. Sort of like focus in, focus back in. And that translates again to when a student is studying for an exam or when they need to read for a paper, or when they need to, Um, write a paper or, you know, complete their math homework. So, again, that's one of the really innovative treatment options. Um, There's a a lot of great information on on our website and on um, the Office of Accessibility's website for cognitive training and neurofeedback. Um, One of the advantages of that, too, is the the far-reaching effects. So, the stimulant medication, a lot of the gains, a lot of the um, help that's benefited from it is gone when students or people just in general discontinue their medication. With the cognitive training neurofeedback, Those gains are seen six months to a year out. So it really is, it's, it's, you know, putting that hard work in and, and training the brain to pay more attention. So students can certainly be on the lookout for that. There's limited availability in space, but, you know, we hope to expand that as time goes on and there's no other programs like that that I know of in the country.
0: Yeah, that's, that's really cool. And um, so when we talk about pharmaceuticals, that's something that my department likes to talk about, because ADHD medication is often used by folks who don't have that diagnosis as a study aid. Uh, And some people actually don't realize that that is illegal drug use if that prescription is not yours. Uh, And so let's maybe talk about some different ways that people can focus on their studying. um, And so
1: without the use of pharmaceutical enhancement. (laughs) Well, and you know, anybody would benefit essentially from stimulant medication, not just folks that have attentional concerns. The idea is to hopefully even the playing field, but if you're taking it, you know, anyways, like if if someone who doesn't have ADHD is taking it anyways, it does help to focus in and and to, to concentrate better. But like you said, the legal and the ethical ramifications of that are really significant. Right. The Ways to study better are sort of building those foundational study skills. It's uh, people talk about engaging, so I'm a visual learner, or I'm an auditory learner, or I'm a tactile learner, that is really helpful, useful information. But if you're not strong in one of those other domains, you should try and strengthen that. It's not good to just rely on what is easy for us. It's important for us to sort of build up and strengthen. So let's say you're not a good auditory learner, start to pick up some audiobooks on subjects and things that you're interested in. It doesn't have to be school, but it, the more, so the way that our brains work, the more ways we process information, tactile, auditory, visuals, any sensory process of our information. If we do it from multiple modalities, we learn the information better. So one of the things that, um, like, so for instance, in the learning skills consultations, which I cannot recommend highly enough through OAS, they try and teach you how to memorize a page of your notes. Um, so they start with like a chunk of information, look at it, you know, put it away and then step away and then write down as much of that as you can remember, Engage, engaging visual. You can, audio record yourself, saying your lecture notes, doing those kinds of things. Um, Flashcards help and um, you know, doing questions online help. The, b- the best way to do it though, is really to engage all the different right. senses. So saying your information into a tape recorder, listening back to that is one way, writing your notes out, seeing how much you can memorize it. Um, that's, that's really helpful as well. Um, what, are, what are some of the other ways and, and tactics that I've found to be effective? Studying in groups, so engaging with other people, quizzing each other. If, you, if you're if you able to teach material to another individual, it means you know it really well yourself. So that's something that, that I could certainly recommend and, and would, you know, highly encourage students to try. Yeah. A lot of the times it's, it's a priorities thing, and making school and studies a higher priority on your list is really important. Scheduling your day really well, that's another thing that um, can be done through those learning skills consultations, or just taking a planner and looking, all right, I get up at 8, I have breakfast from 8 to 8.30, go to class from 8 30 till 10 and I have a break here maybe in this break I can study and again depends on the major it depends on the subject and the things that you're studying but there's a lot of behavioral tactics to to prioritize and, and to make it work um rote memorization is probably the least effective way although I must admit I was very that's what I used that's how I sort of got through school myself it just is the least effective strategy and I've learned better ones over the years.
0: Right. I think my entire anatomy class was just rote memorization. But just, I just, just
1: say it to yourself five million times. It just, it takes so long.
0: Right. And then, but I still remember the, um, let's see, like the ulna and the radius. I know which, where they are in my arm. Uh, so I guess, I guess it's sort of stuck. Um, another thing that students, if they're having trouble, you know, focusing themselves, there are still services available like tutoring or using the writing center. Uh, and yeah, so you absolutely. Yeah, so you can talk with other students who have taken the same courses and have succeeded in those courses and and really um, can can help you out and then of course you can also visit your professor's office hours which but some
1: people are like them getting really, to know you more.
0: yeah people and people are really intimidated by that at first um because if their professor is seen as this really powerful figure, it can be kind of tough to work up the nerve to go to their office by yourself, Um, but your professor generally wants you to succeed, and so if you're having trouble with the material, take advantage, and then, like I think you just said, that gets them to know you, which is really helpful down the line.
1: (laughs) Um, Students will email the professor and say, you know, I'm 0.5 points away from getting a B in your class. Can you you help me out here? The professors who know you, I think, are much more likely to try and help you out or, you know, give that boost yeah. Oh, yeah. For there's, sure. also, there's also tutoring offered, by the way, through the MindFit program. It, the, the fees and the scheduling for that are a little bit different. So just sign up for it before the semester starts. But again, I can't ha- I can't recommend it highly enough. It, it's so helpful. And so many students have benefited from it. They hire specific tutors for each for each um, sort of major and each, each class type. There is a fee associated with that. Some of the other tutoring that you're talking about does not have a fee. But students really benefit from it. The demand is really high. So I'd encourage students to look at that as well.
0: Yeah and if you're still a student who's on campus or maybe uh, back in Morgantown but maybe still doing online classes you know things like the library are still open and it actually might be more advantageous to use the library in this sense because you're physically distant from other folks and so I think that helps to minimize distractions.
1: It does well it gets you out of that sort of comfort zone and you know so many students are going to be studying, reading, working, doing everything from their rooms Mm -hmm. and you know having that all right this is a dedicated study space all I can do here is work on that. It's a, it's a common uh, concern that students present to me or talk to me about, like, I just can't get anything done. There's so many distractions on my phone, and I have, you know, my laptop, and there's just so many different ways to just distract yourself. If you go to the library and you don't give yourself other options, that, that environmental change can really help a lot.
0: Yeah, and I think it's important to note that if you're using your bed to study, try not to do that, because really you should only be doing two things in your bed, sleeping and sex,
1: and yeah. that's it. Uh, <laughs> That's good basic sleep hygiene, too, and again, yeah. we'll have that conversation with folks who are, you know, if you're doing everything, eating in bed, watching TV in bed, your brain learns learns that, like, all right, this is, you know, just for this thing, and it's, it's hard to break those habits, but that basic sleep hygiene is so important.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, and so, like, wrapping this up with our well-being snapshot. So a lot of our students are taking online classes that are completely online. Some of them are hybrid. There are a few that are in person. But with online classes, do you have any thoughts on how to be successful in that specific environment?
1: Just like you had done before our meeting today, putting your phone away or putting it on silent, uh, turning off messaging and things like that, just being as fully present as you can be is important. Again, I don't think this is going to be the major teaching method forever, but I think it's going to be for this semester and possibly next semester, maybe even into you know, the following year. So learning how to make this environment work. Like The suggestion you made is a great idea. Going to the library, like libraries is maybe where I go and do, do um, this morning class, or this afternoon class. Or going into their, to their kitchen. I'm just literally leaving their bed and having sitting on their desk or sitting on the floor next to their bed. Creating that's that environment and making it as distraction free as possible. Engaging yourself in, in the conversation. So, you know, through these zoom classes you can type in the chat as long as the professor enables it and it's you know relevant volunteering answers um, sort of processing the material before and after that's another study tactic that we recommend is so reading your notes ahead of time so like let's say we're going over chapter three in political science so you read it beforehand um, study it in class and then read it again afterwards coming up with any questions you might have as well it's hard though you know and again if you're if you're prone to distraction and prone to having trouble focusing when you're sitting in a lecture hall, it's going to be even more difficult on Zoom. Um, so, you know, you're, you're going to have to redouble your efforts. You're going to have to take extra steps to reduce the, the number of distractions that are possible, um, but that's not going to be easy. And, and I hope that professors are going to be patient. I think they are for the most part. Like like you said, they want you to succeed. So create as a distraction-free environment as you, as you can. If you really think there's something – going wrong, you know, feel free to call our center and, you know, I'd be happy to talk with folks or um, chat with them about what their options are as well. Um, We're blessed to have psychiatrists on site as, you know, additionally, and they can get, offer some great insights as well. Get enough sleep. Um, Some exercise can be great. Making sure that you have enough fuel. So eating something in the morning is really helpful as well.
0: Yeah. And I know with online coursework, if you have to submit things to the online portal, generally the deadline is, you know, 1159 PM, maybe set that deadline for yourself a little bit earlier. And so that will encourage you to go to sleep also. Mm-hmm. Uh, so instead of 1159, maybe say, well, that, I'm going to turn it in by 10 o'clock and set set that for yourself and get it taken care of. And then you can have a restful night's sleep. Um, Impersonation is so
1: reinforcing. So what happens is people get anxious. All right, oh, I have this paper due. So then they avoid it. It's like, oh, no, I'll just watch Netflix for a little while or I'll go talk to my friend or I'll you know, go for a walk. And then all of a sudden, anxiety goes away. It's like, wow, that's, so that's why you know, we procrastinate. It's because it feels really good. It feels reinforcing until it's 1130 and you have that paper you have to write and you only have 30 minutes to get it done. It's very hard. And you have to train your brain to, to get the reinforcement earlier and not engage in the avoidance, which ends up costing you more in the end right?
0: Yeah, definitely for sure. Well, thank you so much to Ryan for talking with us today about this really interesting subject. And we'll probably likely bring you back on at some point. Cause I'm sure there's way more that we can talk about. And so thank you to all of our listeners out there. And we will catch you next time on Wellbeing Wednesday.